0: Hello, and welcome back to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead. Luke Boyd. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us once again. This week, our tour continues into our first official series. The working title is London Stinks, because man, (laughs) it sure does. (laughs) And it's a stink that has evolved over time. But today's specific sting (laughs) refers to (laughs) the Broad Street Pump and the horrible but history-changing cholera outbreak of 1854. You know, in the museum world, Luke, as you know, we lean heavily on the idea that objects tell stories, right? That's right. The Broad Street Pump is one of my absolute favorite examples of an extremely everyday boring object that changed the world. Its significance is just unparalleled in so many ways. And and people at the time would never have thought someday this vessel that they got their water from would change everything we know. It's an, it's an incredible story. And Luke, I know this, this is a bit of a new story for you, right?
1: Yes. I am not nearly an expert as you are in this subject. Can't wait I'm to be so educated. so excited.
0: Yeah. This is, this is going to be a good one. And we are finally, obviously I mentioned cholera, We're getting into my real, uh, my zone here. <laughs>
1: Yes, you mentioned butt history before. I had no idea this is where we'd be going. going. Here Here we are. are.
0: We're here. Let's start by talking about the water pump itself. So the water pump on Broad Street was located in London's West End in Soho at the corner of Broad Street and Cambridge. Soho was the most densely populated part of London at the time with 432 people per acre. Just Mm. for context, I believe the statistic I saw is Manhattan is houses about 100 people per acre. So that's nuts. <laughs> a lot of yeah, people. it's a lot of people. Um, it was a place of bustling commerce, with basically every kind of trade you could possibly imagine, but it was also a hotbed of creativity. It actually housed the likes of Percy Shelley, Franz Liszt, mm. Richard Wagner, and even Karl Marx lived in Soho at one point.
1: Yeah, he's buried in London. Yeah, cool. yeah.
0: But the majority of Soho uh, did not consist of celebrities. It was mostly the poor and the working class. And the pump at Broad Street in Cambridge was considered one of the most popular sources of drinking water in town. For those that don't know, at that time in London, you either had your own well as your source of water, or you used a public pump to collect your water. And most people in that immediate vicinity were using the Broad Street pump. Obviously, gathering water can take a long time. It's You're obviously carrying water, it can get pretty heavy. So you're gonna wanna pick the pump that's easiest to get to. But mm. people also apparently believed this to be particularly good tasting water Which is ironic given what's (laughs) to come. (laughs) Prepare yourselves. Oh, no. Um, I think it's important to give a little bit of context as well, in terms of just in general, what London was like in terms of its uh, sewer system, (laughs) because that's going to play a huge part in this. We are so lucky today. And I remember when I used to give tours to my students, I mentioned the commode chair in our earliest episode. One of the things I would always say was, you should. Thank your lucky stars every day for the modern toilet, because my God,
1: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> We've come
0: a long way, baby.
1: <laughs> you don't have to go outside to the Mm-mm. privy.
0: <laughs> yeah. So at this point, they uh, London actually already had a sewer system, and it operated via the <laughs> the Thames, uh, as it still does today, actually. But at this point, there's no indoor plumbing. Luke, as you alluded to, you're generally dealing with outdoor privies, aka a hole in the ground, or you're using chamber pots and you're dispensing of your excrement into cesspools in your cellar, or sometimes you're just straight up throwing it in the street. It's not the best.
1: <laughs> yeah, Monty Python comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, bring out your dead
0: <laughs> stuff, totally. Um, And so what's really interesting about this is I, I think... You know, we we have this vision in our mind. I'm sure you do, Luke. When you think about London during this time period, during the Victorian age, you think of how disgusting it was and the smells and it's such a, a visceral thing. Um, and, and it's easy for us to, you know, sit back and judge and think, how did you live in filth like this? Or how did you think this was the best system? But to be honest, this actually worked well for a period of time. Have you ever heard of night soil men? No. Oh man, the poop jobs that I have learned about doing research for this
1: episode. Night soil. Night soil
0: men. men. So night soil is a an older term for pee yeah, pe- and poop. Really, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the night soil men were hired, and each household actually had to hire a night soilman to clean out their cesspool for them. And you needed to do it on average two to three times a year in London. Um, And so your night soilman would come and they basically scoop out this sludge that forms when the, Weight of the excrement and combines with the soil; it becomes this disgusting sludgy slop. Obviously, you don't want to handle that. So these guys literally make money doing this, and they actually made a fair wage doing it as well. And they were either, obviously, set- sending it upriver. <laughs> they were mm-hmm. they were uh, using the, the sewer system or putting it directly into the river, or they were giving it to farmers and it was used as manure. So. In some
1: dirty jobs, dirty
0: jobs, yeah. But it served a very important function. This is we could consider it a form of recycling at the time, if you want to sure. put a positive spin on it. But besides the unfortunate human beings who die as a result of this uh, situation, the Thames really is the primary victim in this story. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful what they did to that river.
1: <laughs> oh God.
0: Um. And we'll talk much more about that as we move forward. But yeah, as good or, you know, not good as this system may sound, it did work to some extent. Um, There were obviously always going to be illnesses because your proximity to (laughs) excrement uh, is always going to put you in harm's way to some extent. But this gets so much worse because some major things occur in London. Luke, I'm sure you could guess one of the most important things that happens in the history of Great Britain. I mean, in the history of the world, uh, the Industrial Revolution pops up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: So, given your knowledge, you know what? How would you sort of sum up the the out the output and the outcomes of the Industrial Revolution?
1: I'm sorry, I'm being your so, teacher right now. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, okay, All don't right. do any research. But what, tell I tell do- me what you, so, know. you know? So, you know, two seconds. Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess it's after the Napoleonic Wars and we're shifting from an agrarian society towards a more industrialized society, especially in urban centers. There's factory work and that comes with things like a wage because people had to be paid by the hour as opposed to how many bushels could you produce in Mm -hmm. a season.
0: And unskilled labor. So the people who were the most poor and didn't have a trade, would never apprenticed, finally could get work.
1: Right. But people were, you know, submitted to the meat grinding system of these factories. Yes. And before labor laws come in, people are really abused by that yes. system. Yes.
0: And there are definitely future episodes in the works where we'll focus on that side of the story. But I think besides sort of the labor issues that arise from the onslaught of factory work, there's also the pollution is a Big direct time. result um, of the Industrial Revolution. and. You know, I'm not going to really focus on the air quality side of it. I believe Luke is going to go in deeper on that in a future episode. But <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. My <laughs> but uh, what I'm talking about is when you, when a society industrializes, that means you're creating more work, which means more people are coming to that epicenter.
1: More waste, right?
0: More people equals more waste. Right. So the industrial revolution causes this explosion of population. And also going back to our night soil, men, a problem arises where when you industrialize, like you said, Luke, you're moving away from an agrarian society. So all these farmers are piecing out. So it gets to the point where the farmers are actually too far away from the city. For the night soilmen to get to them easily, so the night soilmen become more expensive. So at that point, people start saying, "Well, screw this. I'm not going to bother emptying out my cesspool that often." That's not good. <laughs> 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 That's how you.
1: So people have no incentive to, to clean, their right? House and yeah, their, their cesspool. and there's a, there's Ooh.
0: aren't any really solid laws in place to say otherwise. So just put that in your little, you know, checklist of. <laughs> things that lead to this, this ultimate event. So we have a population explosion, as I said. To put it into perspective, at the turn of the century, around 1800, the population in uh, London was about 1 million people, which is nothing to sneeze at at the time, for sure. By 1851, just a couple years before this outbreak of cholera, London has a population of 2.4 million people. That, my friends, is the result of industrial revolution. (laughs) It's wild, right?
1: Huge, huge explosion. Yeah. And I imagine a lot of these folks are coming from the more depressed parts of the empire. Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we see this in in any country, including, you know, here in America, in New York, you know, the creation of tenements, the creation of these dangerous living situations where people are right on top of each other because there's literally not Mm -hmm. enough space to house human Mm. beings. And so you have two or three families living in one room. Um, So if any, there's any sort of, you know, illness outbreak of any kind, it's going to be a humongous problem. And in this situation with what this disease is, what it does to you, you know, having an increase of human waste around is a crisis waiting to happen. Yeah. So the main source for my research, and I'm going to be uh, referring to that a lot today, is a book called The Ghost Map, The Story of London's Most Terrifying Epidemic and How It Changed Science Cities in the Modern World by Stephen Johnson. He summarizes the situation beautifully in the book. He says, London in 1854 was a Victorian metropolis trying to make do with an Elizabethan public infrastructure.
1: Mm-hmm. that says it all doesn't it That
0: when I first read that sentence it made my skin crawl because that's horrifying there's they're not ready for what's about no. to happen at all it's, <laughs> it's like and that's the problem when when a society moves too quickly without thinking about what is going to be the larger impact and it's why we continue to face all the issues that we face environmentally with industry and capitalism but
1: that's sure. a whole tangent that we don't
0: have time to go on <laughs>
1: And London's an ancient city, too. Correct. It's got such a long history. And so it totally makes sense that it was so out of date when the world is modernizing and revolutionizing its you know, infrastructure. Yeah, and so
0: industrialization is this double-edged sword of like, wow, we've come so far, we're doing such great things, but at what cost? And a really good example of that is actually the invention of the toilet. <laughs> it had been around here and there. And and during this time, I, I think it was the Crystal Palace, at a world's fair or something like that. And and people got to like experience it and were amazed by it. And so it ended up going into nicer homes, not certainly not the people living in this particular area of London, but that pushed more sewage into the streets because you were going from (laughs) your excrement is just being pushed out little by little to now it's being constantly flushed into the streets. They said it moved from 160 gallons in 1850 to 244 gallons by 1856. God it's me. bad. It's, it's real bad. <laughs> and at the, the bottom of every major health crisis, there's always an inept government.
1: <laughs> Isn't there? Because
0: let's be honest, people back then you know, we can we can judge all we want, but but people were not stupid. They knew you shouldn't live in these conditions. They knew it wasn't good, they knew it wasn't right. The upper class had this delightful habit, as they often still do, of saying this was a poor people's problem. That the this is the poor's fault. They're the ones who bring the disease, right? Not the fact that mm-hmm. you haven't made it possible for them to live and exist in a healthy, comfortable way.
1: Right. Right, it becomes an anti-urban mentality because it's about the people who are suffering from it, and the richies in their manor houses can cast cast yes, down. Yes, and upon surrounding
0: those this particular little, you know, this the, what will be the epicenter of this outbreak is actually some of the wealthiest wealthiest areas. So that tells you everything you need to know. That they've essentially gated in the pores, so they don't have to deal mm-hmm. with them. As it was though, the <laughs> the Thames was disgusting. It stank. It was. Awful, and so there had been people for decades saying, "We got to do something about this. We need to update the sewer system. We need we need to fix this." And and they passed little pieces of legislation here and there. The best one prior to this was the Metropolis Water Act in 1852, which was making provision to secure that the supply of the Metropolis uh, to they were making the water supply "quote unquote" pure and wholesome water instead of just the shit unfiltered water that everyone was getting. And essentially, that was created to make it unlawful for a water company to extract water for domestic use from the tidal reaches of the Thames, but it didn't have to be fully enacted until the 31st of August, 1855.
1: <laughs> Nothing like a gradual <laughs> implementation to get yourself out of there. I'm not going to be in office by the time that shit actually hits the yeah. fan or that shit hits, hits the filter, the water, hits it is. the water, hits your mouth. Yeah, yeah. Mm. exactly.
0: They had plenty of time. They had all of the warning and they did nothing. They did next mm-hmm. to nothing. For me, again, this it's such a visceral experience. I i can't really imagine what this smelled like. I think it's hard for most of us to know that unless right. you've been to any kind of third world country that's suffering under similar conditions. The closest I have is uh, I grew up not far from Sheepshead Bay where they have the Coney Island water pollution control plant. And my God, disgusting! My, disgusting. you if you haven't smelled it, you can't imagine. How bad it is. I have,
1: I have, uh, it's pretty bad. And unfortunately there's some huge housing developments over yes. there and most poor people live I right know. across the street it's, from that stench. Uh, and it's,
0: it's atrocious. It's really bad. We learned to, you know, you roll your windows up before you get even close to it. You turn, you know, you circulate the air in your car when you're driving by. It's really, it's really bad. So imagine that it's not just trapped in a building. It's in the river, which flows throughout it's wild. And
1: it's ubiquitous. Yeah, no.
0: and even though, yeah, of course people know this isn't good. They just didn't fully comprehend how bad things were mm-hmm. and how bad they were going to become.
1: Right. Cause it doesn't necessarily pose a danger beyond an aesthetic issue. Right. So they thought, mm-hmm. so this all really begins
0: on the 28th of August, 1854 at 6 a.m., a six month old baby girl with the last name Lewis. I've seen her referred to by the first name Francis in some publications. Others have said her first name is unknown, so I don't really know what to believe. But um, this little baby girl had been vomiting and having green watery Mm. diarrhea. Oh no. Her mother soaks her child's diapers in water that she then dumps into the cesspool in front of their house on 40 Broad Street directly across from the Broad Street pump. The child would die within five days, and her father would succumb to the same illness just days later on September 8th. That's how it starts. And that illness, of course, is cholera. So Mm. let me fill you in a little bit on really the main villain in our story, which is this horrible, horrible disease. Cholera, a.k.a. Vibrio cholerae, a.k.a. The Blue Death, so-called because some victims' skin will turn a bluish-gray as a result of this severe dehydration. The Wide Health Organization defines cholera as an acute diarrheal infection caused by ingestion of food or water contaminated with the bacterium Vibrio cholerae. Uh, it takes between... 12 hours and five days to see symptoms after you've ingested uh, the bacteria, but some people never develop symptoms at all, which is a huge Mm. issue. For all of us who've been living through this pandemic, it's the asymptomatic carriers that can actually be the most dangerous because they're just living their lives, not understanding that they're spreading this infection. Cholera isn't like COVID. It's not airborne right? So I can't like sneeze on you and you have cholera. It has to be ingested. So it's really a matter of, are you drinking the water that I'm shitting in? <laughs> and that's how cholera generally becomes the biggest problem. Or do you have good hygiene practices in a situation where there is cholera? The Again, with the asymptomatic carriers, they can shed that bacteria for up to 10 days, wow. which is a very long time. You're going to have a problem that's going to be very hard to get rid of If you have a ton of asymptomatic carriers with cholera, about one in 10 people will have pretty severe symptoms. And in the early stages, that includes profuse, incessant, watery diarrhea, sometimes described as rice water stools, which I think is pretty disgusting, but self-explanatory, vomiting, extreme thirst, leg cramps, restlessness, or irritability. Ultimately, without any sort of treatment, cholera will kill you and you will die ultimately because of how severely dehydrated you become
1: you're just drained and your blood is like sludge like you're just your done.
0: skin wrinkles. you're so mm-hmm. dry I, it because you cannot keep anything inside you it's it's a horrible, horrible death, and your organs fail. I mean you just can't everyone knows you cannot survive without water it's impo- it's impossible to survive this illness without rehydration, but that's what's so. Frustrating about this illness. Without treatment, someone can die within hours, especially someone young and vulnerable. Right?
1: Very fast. It's very very
0: fast. But all it takes is just a ton of water, just a lot of hydration, and it's just such a shame that they didn't understand that for so long because it's quite treatable. And and I'll get a little bit more into sort of modern treatment later on. But yeah, I just wanted to give you a good understanding of what this disease is, what we're talking about today. It's believed that it originates in uh, the Indian subcontinent and if you know anything about cholera, it is still a huge problem and is considered pretty much endemic, it's not really going anywhere uh, in India. And so there are some descriptions of it in the Western world as far back as like the 1600s, but the first real pandemic occurs in uh, 1817 in India, like that we have on record in in terms of the Western knowledge of cholera. And while it happens in 1817 in India, it doesn't stay in India because the British army and Navy bring it all around Southeast Asia, the Middle East, Europe, Eastern Africa. Thanks colonialism. You've done it again. (laughs) Right.
1: So where the map is painted pink, where the empire touches, that's where the disease touches. Yeah.
0: So I I like to think of it as a little fuck you from, (laughs) from India to the colonizers.
1: <laughs> totally.
0: Uh, but yeah, that's so England England gets hit with cholera in 1831. It is a disease that is was not native to England. They they brought it there.
1: Familiar story. Very.
0: Yes. So, the first confirmed case ever was that of a man named William Sprout in Sunderland and he died within 3 days and he was only the first of 32,000 who would die in 1831 and 1832. So that gives you a small sense of just how horrendous this illness is and the type of loss that we're talking about. Lots of outbreaks happened between then and 1854. But again, it's all half measures. No one's really doing anything to change the situation. And part of the problem is because they just don't fucking understand disease.
1: Right. They don't know how it's transmitted. They don't know how to control
0: it. So have no idea. So are you familiar with the miasma theory, Luke?
1: Miasma, yes.
0: Bad air is what it means. Uh, It dates back to actually to uh, Hippocrates around the fifth or fourth century B.C. 400, sorry, century B.C. And uh, I believe it actually means pollution in Greek, which makes sense. And it's built on the notion of bad air. The air is foul, and that is what's making you <laughs> sick. Which, you know, technically, compared to thinking that it's witches or gods or whatever, I mean, it's a better theory.
1: <laughs> yes, but a mask will not save you from cholera.
0: No, so you know, there's there, the thing is they think that all disease, every disease, is a product of environmental factors like like contaminated water, foul air, bad hygiene. So they're so close to being right. They just didn't understand that you don't die from bad smells, mm-hmm. but you will die from what you consume. And so Londoners are literally consuming shit on a regular basis. And no one understands the gravity of that. <laughs> it's, it's wild. It's so hard for us to understand because we, we just have so much knowledge now. Of science and disease and how it's transmitted so it's it's a little difficult to find sympathy for certainly the more powerful people in the story but when a belief is long held like that i mean you're talking all the way back to hippocrates that's going to be hard to get rid of
1: yeah for sure it, i mean it- they were. They did things like they wore these scented globes around yes. their neck during the Black Plague because it's like, well, the stench will will ward off the evil stench, and also we we stink as people. We don't have deodorant. Like, you know, we don't. <laughs> <wave>. yeah. <laughs> uh, so.
0: yeah, all of London was just bad air. So I, the theory also doesn't fully check out for me. <laughs>
1: right. You got smog going up the chimney. You know. You got all this pollution in the air. People smoking yeah, you everywhere. Smell. I
0: smell. My dog smells. The river smells. That's right. Everything smells. That's right. Get used yeah. to it. So we're in this dire, terrible situation. And you got to think where where are the scientists? <laughs> Who is thinking about this? And thank God, here comes the hero of our story. He came down from the north to save us all. His name, I shit you not, John
1: Snow. What do you know, Jon Snow? Here's the thing.
0: Here's the thing. What I love about it is he was born in York, which, if you know Game of Thrones, the Yorkshire accent is the accent that is used by the Northerners on the show. (laughs) So, how perfect is that?
1: The North North remembers. Yeah, so he
0: probably might have sounded like that, which is awesome.
1: I have to go make water.
0: um unlike the game of thrones Jon snow who knew nothing this Jon snow knew everything yes bitch <laughs> he was way ahead of his time he is actually known as the father of epidemiology today for his work on cholera but when he was you know he was in school was when he started to have questions about this miasma theory it just didn't ring true for him it didn't make sense to him and especially after he spent you know years l- studying cholera patients and and living through other outbreaks he just felt like we're absolutely missing something and he started to really think this was about the water which again seems pretty obvious to everyone but apparently he was the only one who really thought about this so he uh he writes a uh, a theory in an 1849 essay called On the Mode of Communication of Cholera, where he elucidates on his skepticism and how he believes it is from foul water. But he's still struggling to prove the theory. But I will read to you just a little excerpt. The belief in the communication of cholera is a much less dreary one than the reverse. For what is so dismal as the idea of some invisible agent pervading the atmosphere and spreading over the world, I mean... Terrifying, right?
1: Terrifying. Yeah. No,
0: I, I would much rather it be, don't drink this water than, sorry, <laughs> it's just the air around you all right. the time. It has, to be,
1: it has to be tangible if we're going to understand it and control yes. it. So he
0: goes on to say, if the writer's opinion be correct, cholera might be checked and kept at bay by simple measures that would not interfere with social or commercial intercourse, and the enemy would be shorn of his chief terrors. It would only be necessary for all persons attending or waiting on the patient to wash their hands carefully and frequently, which again, novel idea for the time, never omitting to do so before touching food, again, novel idea, (laughs) and for everybody (laughs) to avoid drinking or using, for culinary purposes, water into which drains and sewers empty themselves, or, if that cannot be accomplished, to have the water filtered and well boiled before its use. Now, I read all of that and go, yeah, f- fucking duh. <laughs> this
1: is Dr., Dr. Fauci, 1845. He really
0: was. <laughs> you know, he he wrote with such passion, just saying, like, this is, we got to do something because this bad air thing can't be real because it's impossible to combat. And it just, the evidence isn't there to prove that it's true. So, right. you know, he... At the at, he concludes this uh, mode of communication on the mode of communication of cholera by saying like anybody else out there want to help me finish proving this theory I'm I'm all ears like I like I need help. <laughs> um,
1: right, he's all he's all alone out yeah, there. Yeah,
0: but he actually gets the opportunity of a lifetime when uh, in 1854 cholera breaks out in the worst way in Soho. It's back. Oh, it's back. Guess who's back. <laughs> back again cholera's back yeah cholera back nobody wants her
1: wash your hands (laughs) Hands, hands.
0: (laughs) oh no all right anyway people are falling ill horribly horribly ill very fast entire households are wiped out in a matter of days it's truly terrifying i mean it's you know again we we've lived through the COVID pandemic it's not like this This is unparalleled in our modern Mm -hmm. society living here in the United States and also in London. I mean, it's just hard to fathom. And Jon Snow luckily lived in Soho at the time. So he was front Mm -hmm. and center for this whole shit show. (laughs) This literal
1: shit show. Oh, man, I didn't even plan. You wrote that. I swear to God, I didn't plan that (laughs)
0: joke. (laughs) Oh, good for me, though. Uh, Fantastic. (laughs) So uh, he lived in Soho. His medical practice was there. I left out the fact that one of my favorite things about him is he was an obstetrician. Isn't isn't that nice? I know. Babies. Oh, babies. So uh, anyway, irrelevant. But he had his medical practice there. So he obviously was seeing patients who were coming down with cholera. This was the moment to try to disprove the miasma theory and hopefully end this cholera outbreak and in a perfect world, and cholera. And the work that he does is honestly top-notch scientific work, honestly top-notch detective work. Uh, What he does is he works tirelessly, conducting interviews and gathering information from hospitals and public records on when the outbreak began and whether the victims drank water from the Broad Street pump. Very early on, he suspects that those who lived or worked near the pump were most likely using the pump and therefore contracting cholera from the pump. He notes uh, within 250 yards of the spot where Cambridge Street joins Broad Street, there were upwards of 500 fatal attacks of cholera in 10 days.
1: Wow. That's a cluster.
0: So obviously this isn't a coincidence. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's funny. It's like, it's, it's brilliant science for the time, but it's like, yeah, no shit.
1: (laughs) Right. It's a correlation, which we see, of course, beautifully. Right.
0: right. But they still can't, you know, wrap their heads around it at the time. So uh, he distills his findings into what is now known as the ghost map. And I will post the ghost Mm. map in our, uh, our Instagram because it's, it's absolutely worth looking at. It is considered the first geographic information system map of disease distribution. So it's it's very, wow. very informative um, and clearly important to the science community. Um, and it very clearly demonstrates the relationship between the collar cases and the use of the drinking water from the Broad Street pump. It was made with the help of Reverend Henry Whitehead, who was a priest at a nearby uh, St. Luke's Church. Luke. <laughs> Our local curate at St. Luke's. Well, he was devastated. He was watching his entire congregation die this horrible fucking death. And even though he himself had been a miasmatist, I think is how what they called themselves, (laughs) (laughs) he thought, you know what? This guy Snow has a good point. Uh, we should really look into this. And so he helped him make this map. He sort of helped distill, this is where all the people are. This is who died in these households. This is how soon they died within one another. And they did this incredible research that went even a step further than just saying the Broad Street pump. They found out who was supplying the water to the different Mm. pumps. And so homes that were uh, supplied with Southwark and Vauxhall Waterworks Company, they were the ones who were taking sewage-polluted sections of the Thames and supplying the water from there. And they had a cholera rate (laughs) 14 times that of the water supplied from Lambeth Waterworks Company, which obtained water further upriver.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: So that was part of the problem, and and they had thought, I guess, that they were solving that problem by creating that Clean Works Act that they had. But because it wasn't going into act till 1855, these motherfuckers were probably just waiting to the last possible second and just...
1: Pump, pump, yeah, pump.
0: Who cares? We got to keep business going, right?
1: <laughs> got to make that money.
0: Horrible. So this geographical grid charts deaths from the outbreak and investigates each case to determine... What was the access to the water pump? And there's some amazing stories that also come out of this because he has all these questions like any good scientist would, which is, okay, so why don't the night soil men have cholera? And it's believed that they likely had tiny exposures over such an extensive period of time that unless they were drinking from that pump, they were able to survive it. Mm, Fascinating, right? Interesting. And then Mm -hmm. there was actually a brewery in town. And everybody who worked in the brewery seemed to be fine too, even though they were using the water, but they were only (laughs) drinking beer. Mm -hmm. So they were okay.
1: Saved by the beer. Yes,
0: but then another good example of someone who was more unfortunate, a woman had left that that area where the pump was, but she liked the water so much that I, I forget if it was her nephew or something was bringing water to her, to her home further away. So she was like an outlier case where it didn't quite make sense until they discovered, oh, it's because he was bringing her water from Broad All Street. Right. Explain
1: this. Explain this to me. What was so goddamn good about this? Water? <laughs> I don't know.
0: Have you please- tried poop water? Maybe it's delicious.
1: I don't know. <laughs> I also think I'm something of a water philistine. Are like you? I- <laughs> I don't know. Like, I like tap water as much as the next person. Like, you know, I I, I can appreciate filtered water, but I'm not like, I'm not going to like send this water back. Like, usually I'm like, if I smell a glass, like if your dishwasher's fucked, I'll be on the story. (laughs) But if the water is bad, I'm like, eh, unless it's like yellow has shit floating in it. Like I'm, I'm good. I I I am.
0: And it might be because I grew up with New York City tap water. I am a bitch about tap water.
1: So what tap? So do you think tap water in New York is supreme, mm. or are you one of those? New York City you, is some of the
0: best goddamn tap water in the world.
1: That's what I understand, yeah. and I, I agree. So my know? husband is so from Florida, right? And that is some of the
0: worst tap water. I, it tastes like sulfur. Crocodile I cannot tears. stand it. And he's <laughs> in love with it. Like it tastes like it tastes no. like home to him. And I was like, it tastes like poison to me. It tastes like That's light so a match to me. <laughs>
1: Right, you're like, is there any fluoride in this? What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's it. We we're from our (laughs) we're from our northeastern bubble of pretty good water systems, you know. But like, I check my bias, you know. Flint, Michigan, Jesus Christ. No, I know some places are really struggling to this day. And it's this story is very scary because
0: when you think about the fact that they were they were walking on a razor's edge already before the population exploded. So how close are other societies to this happening? You know what I mean? Sure, like it's and sure. and we see societies today where cholera is still a pervasive issue because they cannot get that infrastructure in place. They don't have the money, right. how, they don't care. How do you
1: pause how do you pause all of society or do it in such a way where society's not disrupted? It's a major infrastructure change. It's a huge change. deal building a sewer system. Are you kidding me? can't come back from that. It's like the the lifeblood of no, the No, no.
0: So m- more on that to come. I'm so glad you mentioned that. So we just left off with Jon Snow, the king of the North, has realized, holy crap, it's this pump. I knew it. I knew it. We got to cut off access to this pump. It's the only way to get this under control. And so you may be thinking, done deal. Easy peasy. It was not easy peasy, my friends. <laughs> and here's why. As you know, again, from recent years, when scientists meet politics, it gets real complicated and really challenging because you have two groups who are in direct conflict with each other because politicians Mm -hmm. care about public image. They care about winning over their constituents, Um, and they may claim they care about their constituents, but- that isn't necessarily true for a lot of them. They care about staying in their seat of power, right? That's right. And then you have the scientists who are showing up and just saying, hey man, I'm just telling you what it is. I'm just telling you what I know. And yeah, there may be things that I don't know but this is as much as I do know and I think we need to maybe consider doing something here. And so this gives you a good example of how this is something that's been going on for a very long time.
1: Jurassic Park, (laughs) absolutely.
0: Why wouldn't they listen?
1: Life will find a way.
0: does find a way. Um, and so does poop, apparently. So, <laughs> so from a political point of view, not that I sympathize with the politicians, but I get it. I can't imagine turning around to your constituents and be like, uh, so here's the thing. You've been drinking poop. <laughs> and the, the drinking of the poop is what has been killing pretty much everyone. So our bad.
1: Right, who's responsible? <laughs> the people in power, you know. Yeah.
0: You know, in addition to that, it's a huge expense to fix this problem.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, so they that's those are the things that they're thinking of above public health and safety, which is awful, but we see it.
1: And there is no and there isn't no public health in this time, truly. Like in a sense of
0: There's a basic you know, basic construction of a board of health at this time. It does exist, Mm -hmm. but it's not doing its job clearly (laughs) to the same extent. So, you know, it isn't surprising that when he goes to them, they're extremely resistant and, you know, the board of health basically says, F this, we aren't improving the cesspool sewer situation here and everyone can just keep on drinking from shit river and, and nothing gets done in that regard, but he at least is able to get the goddamn handle off the pump and close the pump, and what happens, like flipping magic, the outbreak very quickly ends, wow, yep,
1: saving lives, yeah,
0: and what unfortunately he he obviously did his absolute best in this situation, but the end result was uh ten thousand seven hundred and thirty eight people died within that, and that is a very small radius, by the way. Um, and to put it into even more upsetting terms on Broad Street, 10% of the population were killed by cholera. Damn. It's a wild number. And we hear about other pandemics and things in the past of just the, the body count, the body piles. We're already dealing with a severe lack of sanitation. It's just the sight and the sounds and the smells. I just, I can't fathom. This is one this is one of the darker things that I've definitely covered and researched and it's very very upsetting. Outbreaks are fucking scary and gross ones like this are extra scary to me.
1: <laughs> they are scary and you know water is a is a life-giving thing and having a pump in the street was such a blessing to the community and especially that it was this magical pump that had this maybe this taste <laughs> this tastiness to it and my god it was the fucking devil. I mean I know. It's it's such a betrayal of this life-giving thing. Oh, that we Johnny, need Oh, Johnny, Johnny, bring me that water from the brushy. The water I like, you know. Can oh. you bring that to me? Will you bring it to oh, me? Oh god. It's Doffle.
0: Ethel. No. <laughs> Deathle.
1: I got to get better uh, uh names for my, uh, <laughs> fake people.
0: No, no, that's that's good. Um so Yeah, like I said, even though he does all this great work and makes this this huge effort, they're still not really interested in changing anything. And they actually put the fucking handle back on after the outbreak ends.
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) Assholes.
0: So surprise, fucking surprise. (laughs) Cholera continues. And unfortunately, in 1858, Jon Snow dies. Never seeing his work to its completion. He's hmm. able to prove it to a certain extent, but he doesn't fully understand the full biology of cholera.
1: And he dies natural causes or? Yeah.
0: Some people believe because he did a lot of work in anesthesia that perhaps it had something to do with that. Uh, you know, scientists do definitely put their lives on the line when they're doing their work sometimes. So uh
1: little blue velvet situation. Yeah, he was
0: 45. So not an old man. No. No. That's no, terrible. Yeah, pretty pretty sad. But fascinatingly enough, in 1858 something else major happens. And this is known as the Great Stink. <laughs> 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 and this, my friends, is where it actually gets kind of funny. Because cholera is not funny. Um, so the Great Stink, which is also just the best title. It's so British, right?
1: Going to talking. I knew I smelt your foul strength when I came on board. <laughs> so good.
0: And of course, the who coins that it's the papers. It's not like that was handed down from Parliament. This is a period of a couple of months in the summer where temperatures hit these incredible highs. If you know anything about London, it is it's a pretty mild climate in the summer. It's it's Very not cool. known for being yeah. super hot, but uh, the highs were apparently going upwards of a hundred degrees. Ooh! And it was so dry that the banks of the Thames were receding and just oh, leaving God. behind mounds of ancient shit.
1: Fucking <laughs> disgusting! Luke's
0: face—he looks like he's gonna hurl. <laughs> it's so bad.
1: I should have known, I should have known not to eat before I'm so this podcast. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my God. So calcified, fossilized. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, like, yeah, corpses, death.
1: There's just death in the River Thames. All kinds of secrets coming out. Yeah, and I'll
0: I'll also post some of the cartoons from the time. Like, the Thames is often portrayed in these periods as just pure death because it was that disgusting. The Thames was destroyed. For years and years by people just mm-hmm. throwing anything and everything into it. But really, it's this onslaught of human waste that true and, and industrialization that truly destroys it. I mean, yeah. Wow. So the Thames gets its revenge <laughs> and stinks up London uh, and smell. Apparently, there are so many great firsthand accounts of people saying that... People would throw up miles away if the wind just blew in the wrong direction. (laughs) There's a story of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert going to take a pleasure cruise on the Thames. And within, like, minutes, they're like, oh, fuck this. And they turn around and go home. (laughs) Oh, Albert, what is that horrible smell? (laughs) Jesus Christ. My God, that unholy stench. It never smells like this in Balmoral. (laughs) Couldn't be on us, could it? This is not our fault, is it? Oh, God. Of course not.
1: That's awful. So,
0: you know, aside from it smelling, people are still very much in that miasma frame of mind. So people are like, we're going to die. We're all going to die from this fucking smell. Something has to be done. And I have just a myriad of beautiful quotes describing this, uh, starting with... The man himself, Charles Dickens, he said, "I can certify that the offensive smells, even in that short whiff, have been of a most head and stomach distending nature."
1: Ooh, yeah, that's yeah good he way. had a
0: he had a way with words. I don't know if you've ever if you've ever read him. <laughs> uh, some other great quotes. These are from uh, different uh, newspapers at the time. Just. <laughs> The best reviews you've ever heard. A Stygian pool reeking with ineffable and intolerable horrors.
1: Ooh, Stygian. Yes, I like Stygian.
0: That. This is my favorite quote, probably. Gentility of speech is at an end. It stinks. And whoso once inhales the stink can never forget it and can count himself lucky if he lives to remember it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there's such a romance for Dickensian like Christmas Carol imagery and you know, it's like Dickensian world was high and low Oh, Very yeah people lived in squalid conditions Yeah, you know people there's a it was you know a sort of gilded age sort of world where you've got you know Really huge gulf between the rich and the poor not glamorous, you know, not really glamorous. Yeah. Life was tough it was hard and apparently it stunk like hell which does not surprise yeah, me. Yeah
0: and he definitely references this stuff in his books. Mm-hmm.
1: He, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah it gets glossed over in like the Hollywood nostalgia for the Victorian yeah, no, age. No he was he know. was
0: shining a light or trying to. Yeah. Um, so yeah so those are some of my favorites although I also do like the one that said, calls it a pestiferous and typhus breeding abomination. <laughs>
1: Or typhus in there for good measure
0: <laughs> i mean maybe probably <laughs> i don't know
1: good chance it's there too
0: and so the 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 belief was something has to be done something needed to be done a long time ago what in the actual fuck and this is summed up really well in the uh the illustrated london news we can colonize the remotest ends of the earth we can conquer <laughs> India. We can pay the interest of the most enormous debt ever contracted. We can spread our name and our fame, and our fructifying wealth to every part of the world. But we cannot clean the River Thames.
1: Bacteria, just like in War of the Worlds, that's what gets. Great you.
0: fucking point, though. Like seriously, yeah, we're putting all of our money and energy and resources into everything except our own except health the and th- safety.
1: Domestic fear. Yeah.
0: And is this right. not? Just trying to grow is the this empire. Not so. So much of a time, and and absolutely, time, like my God, it's, just, it's over and How over. Much again. money is
1: spent on on international conflicts and wars, and our bridges are falling down. Right, yeah. it's that.
0: So this this is
1: center and periphery,
0: new, and nothing changes until it gets so stinky that Parliament, who uh, you know where where they conduct business is right against the Thames,
1: they they are, could yeah.
0: not even stand to conduct a business. <laughs> and they were using lime and all these other things to try to basically bleach the curtains. To and, and they were pouring it into the Thames. I mean, they they spent. Oof. I think it was something. I read a number, something crazy, like fifteen hundred pounds a month, or like a week, trying to you know abate the smell. And it's like just fucking figure it out. It has to be really fixed.
1: Right, just trying to shock the pool. Yeah, so
0: finally, they were like, well, okay. It's finally inconvenienced the rich and the government, so I guess we should change something,
1: right? Even the back, even the backbenchers agree something must. <laughs> yeah. Be
0: done. So, they finally make major improvements and advancements to the London sewer system, many of which actually still exist today, to the tune of what was then three million pounds, and today would actually be about four hundred and thirty million pounds. So, listen, not a drop wow. in the bucket. I get it, but it was—it wasn't even a question. Of if it had to be done.
1: That's what it's that's what it is. We 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 call it a focusing event, the thing that brings everybody to Jesus that says, okay, now something must be done. And now we have the political will to say, sure, three million, let's do it. Whatever it takes. Right. Because now Unfor- it's bothering me. <laughs> unfortunate that as people, that's how we tend to operate. Yeah.
0: Exactly, it has to hit. It has to hit your own backyard before you give a shit, which is a terrible thing about humankind. But <sighs> anyway, at least it got changed. <laughs> so it isn't until actually 1883 that people officially recognize that John Snow's research on cholera was 100% dead on. A German phys- physician mm-hmm. named Robert, I think he's a he's a Koch and not a Koch. It's K-O-C-H. I don't know how you would do that in
1: German. Yeah, probably a coke.
0: Yeah, so he's the one who isolated the bacteria, and because Snow had always referred to it as "there's this," there's a poison in the water, and I love the way he describes it um, in his writing, where he said, "Clearly, your body is trying to expel some kind of poison if you are throwing up, if you're if you're pooping, like your body's trying to get whatever the hell this is out of you." So he was so smart, he was so close, and I think if he had lived. Longer He probably could have gotten there, but luckily they did. They figured it out. Mm. They realized it's not contagious person to person. It sure as shit isn't spread in the air, (laughs) but it is definitely about unsanitary water and food supplies. And that really enhanced the movement towards sanitizing cities. And, And by the way, this was certainly not exclusive to London. New York had numerous horrible cholera outbreaks as well. Cholera was an issue. Throughout the world, which is why this made such a huge, huge difference in cities everywhere. Mm. If, the, if so they feared. could afford it, if they could afford the changes, yes. that's the history. But let's uh, let's do a uh, rolling the credits. Where are they now? <laughs> let's talk about the poor Thames. Let's start there. <laughs> that poor old bitch she's seen some stuff i've actually i've actually heard the thames referred to as father thames in some of the older writings so i bet oh, yeah they, they make it a, ma- a masculinized. yeah yeah yeah
1: but we're, we're we're it's that's the dead name we're taking it back <laughs> yeah, exactly um got it
0: so one thing that i read about it um and luke maybe you'll you'll find more stuff on this in your research on your next topic but um it was declared <laughs> Biologically dead in 1957.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Thames, year one yeah. <laughs> to 1957,
0: dead. R.I.P. Dead, dead, dead. <laughs> it's so tragic because it was often written of of being this beautiful river full of fish mm-hmm. and wildlife and everything, and and it just had been destroyed through industry and through fucking human nonsense so Mm -hmm. what i was happy to read was that it's apparently making a comeback and there have been wildlife sightings
1: yeah yeah in
0: more recent years they've seen they've seen like seals like harbor seals which is absolutely incredible to me i just i can't even believe it
1: it's encouraging to think that if we step back as humans nature nature will reclaim much more quickly than we'd like but it's a good thing. Yeah, so, Elasticity. Yes.
0: So it, but the London sewers do still flow into it, so it's dicey. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. There's supposed to be a new system by 2025 called the Thames Tideway Tunnel, which is not easy to say. <laughs> and it's supposed to TTT. be known as London's new super sewer <laughs> and it's going to collect and store raw... Who's
1: doing the PR on this I don't know.
0: (laughs) Um, But the idea is that it will collect and store raw sewage instead of allowing it to overflow into the tidal basin, which is how so much of this pollution occurs. So that's that's Mm. some good news possibly, and, and I'm excited to see if that happens. Here's hoping. In less positive news, cholera still exists today. It is largely unseen in the Western world, thank God, But there's countries that obviously we know still struggle with infrastructure to help manage waste. There have been some very severe cholera outbreaks even in recent years. If you all recall after the the earthquake in Haiti, there was a horrible cholera outbreak at that time. And that's actually pretty common too. you'll you'll see throughout history whenever there's war or some kind of natural disaster, cholera generally follows makes yeah, appearance. absolutely. Hmm. And this number is staggering. So prepare yourself. According to the CDC, there are currently 47 countries where it is considered to be endemic. Oh, that is too many.
1: That's heartbreaking. Yeah.
0: So it is just there and they can't get rid of it because they just don't have the means to do it. Or the government just doesn't give a shit.
1: Wow. And so color is a very persistent bitch.
0: Yeah, because I mean, look at what I explained to you about its ability to stay in its host.
1: Mm-hmm. And to spread mm-hmm. so
0: easily, it's the thing with bacteria, man. It can go anywhere. <laughs> uh, on the upside, however, like I said, the the treatment is ridiculously simple. It it consists of intensive rehydration therapies, something as simple as these oral packets that you dilute in water. The World Wide Health Organization has like cholera kits that it will send to countries that are having massive outbreaks. Um, So Mm -hmm. there's all this stuff in place to try to help that for more severe cases where they're facing very serious dehydration, you'll give them intravenous fluids and that should generally cure it.
1: And it's like, it's like basic stuff like glucose and saline, right?
0: I mean, yeah, it's just an IV. I mean, they even say Mm -hmm. specifically they don't, they encourage having antibiotics because it would probably create resistant strains. So really just water. You just need lots of water. I was curious about that, if it's mutated. Yeah, no, not as of yet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's doing fine as it is. (laughs) And there is a vaccine, which is wonderful news. But as we also know, the countries that need it struggle to get it. So that's part of the only real way to fix this is you have to have safe drinking water and good waste management. It is necessary to eradicate cholera in these countries. And apparently there's some uh, partnerships in place where they wanna uh, have this ending cholera initiative with the mm-hmm. goal of by 2030, it will be eradicated or at least cholera deaths will be reduced to 90% um, in as many as 20 mm-hmm. countries by that time. So I wish them all the luck in the world. It's a horrible illness. I can't even imagine living a life like that surrounded by that level of death and horror it's just it's just so disturbing that people continue to live with what we would think of as such an old
1: illness right it's how the other half lives but on a global scale
0: in the yeah absolutely absolutely and then my favorite part of our podcast which is where is the artifact itself you can no- go see not the original pump <laughs> but there is actually a replica pump right at the corner Where it once stood, Uh, now it is called Broadwick Street, not Broad Street, but it's uh, so it's at Broadwick Street and Cambridge. And Mm -hmm. it is there with a plaque honoring Jon Snow. The handle is removed in honor of his courageous efforts. And there actually is a Jon Snow Society that was developed in appreciation of what he did, his works, and they also hold these things called the annual pump handle lectures where they discuss yes. similar challenges awesome. that scientists face today. And last August in 2021, they had Dr. Fauci and you can watch <laughs> it online. You can watch it online. They still yeah. have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you feel inclined to do so, um, I can put the link in on our uh in our show notes, so you guys can can click away and watch watch Dr. Fauci talk about sort of. I I think the whole session is about like call um. I was a cholera. <laughs> no, no, we don't need cholera right now. COVID and what we've learned, I, I believe, was uh, something along the line. What's called and then also, if you're so inclined. There is a pub on that corner called the John Snow Pub. <laughs> Maybe don't drink the water, but uh, feel free to have a beer.
1: <laughs> I'll have a beer. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> and that is the incredible, difficult, but so important story of the Broad Street Pump and the color outbreak of 1854.
1: Wow. Yay. Thank you for taking us on that wild intestinal ride. <laughs> so gross. Uh, <laughs> So many interesting images conjured up, and it's immediately relevant to the world we're living in in so many ways. In terms, of, of course, the specter of COVID, but the fact that we hear about these lowly NGOs who are always, you know, non-government organizations who are trying to get clean drinking water. And it's always like, oh, it's just clean drinking water, sure, sure, sure. But there's stakes involved. Oh, my and God. I it's a I mean, basic human right to function.
0: You know, I, I actually, I meant to read a quote from the book, which was so disturbing, just because to put it into perspective, this is something that is seen today, if you were near the Ganges or or another Location Mm -hmm. where cholera is commonplace, Mm -hmm. but I'll I'll read you this is from the London Morning Chronicle. They were at the ground zero of a cholera outbreak in 1849, and they said this. We then journeyed on to London Street. In number one of this street, the cholera first appeared 17 years ago, and it spread up it with fearful virulence. But this year it appeared at the opposite end and ran down it with like severity. As we passed along the reeking banks of the sewer, the sun shone upon a narrow slip of the water. In the bright light, it appeared the color of strong green tea and positively looked as solid black as marble in the shadows. Indeed, it was more like watery mud than muddy water. And yet we were assured this was the only water the wretched inhabitants had to drink. And I'll skip down a little bit where it says, and yet as we stood doubting the fearful statement, we saw a little child from one of the galleries opposite, lower a tin can with a rope to fill a large bucket that stood beside her. In each one of the balconies that hung over the stream, the self-same tub was to be seen in which the inhabitants put the mucky liquid to stand so that they may, after it has rested for a day or two, skim the fluids from the solid particles of filth, pollution, and disease. As the little thing dangled her tin cup as gently as possible into the stream, a bucket of night soil was poured down from the next gallery." So that is happening to people now, and that yep. is incomprehensible to me. It's horrible. It's really horrible. Wow! So I thought this would be a, a you know a good episode to do. Also, that I I believe this is coming out on the fourth of July in honor of negligent governments everywhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let us free ourselves from the shackles oh. of tyranny. He has polluted our water. <laughs> I have a I have a comment or a yes. thought. Is it true that or had, have you heard this that Kit Harington, who played Jon Snow, is related to Lord John Harington, who was one of the inventors, revolutionizers of the modern toilet.
0: I hadn't heard that, but I've heard the Harington name tossed around.
1: Yeah, I think it's like late uh, 16th century. Folks,
0: we're going to do some extra research and come back to you on that via Instagram. Stay tuned.
1: First of all, Katie, thank you for that wonderful episode. Folks, thank you so much for listening. Remember to please subscribe to the Morbid Museum podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us at the Morbid Museum on Instagram. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time as our tour continues through the Morbid Museum. Bye-bye. Bye bye.